And good morning. Happy Sunday. This is PFG Live, and we hope you are too. It is um, 80 degrees in southern New Hampshire, overcast with no precipitation. And uh, welcome aboard, Wes. Uh, WR Rocket, welcome aboard. Wes says it's supposed to be 94 today in south central Idaho. Holy cow. Well, uh, it, we had some serious heat here this week, and um, thankfully it broke. But almost is checking in from the Arizona 103F heading to 107 or more today, and it's not even noon. Oh, my God. Uh, so I think we should all get a uh, flat rate box from the Postal Service and send some ice cubes out to, uh, to almost to help keep him cool. Well, uh, glad you could be here, buddy. Uh, nice to see you. Haven't talked to you in a long time. And NYC CNC checking in from the Zanesville of Ohio. 77 and possible rain. That sounds closer to what we're doing here. Possible rain. Um, let's see. WR Rocket says it's about 50 degrees and sunny in Kodiak. What an awesome place to be. Well, nice to see you. Uh, go, go punch a grizzly for me, would you? <laughs> and <laughs> almost reports that 103 is lower than the overnight low. From Arizona today. Oh my God. Uh, well, anyway, welcome aboard. We uh, we provide free air conditioning while you're here. We are transmitting on a frequency of YouTube. Oh, the 77. 77 was lower than your overnight low. Yeah. So we're, we're broadcasting on a frequency of YouTube. And we do have a uh, sub broadcast on our Discord server. Um and we're uh, we're enjoying that although we're still working out some technical details to fully enjoy the discord server but we'll we'll not bore you with those details so uh we got a lot of nerdy stuff to talk about today and that i know that doesn't sound terribly unusual but it's sort of timely indiana john welcome aboard nice to see you um so let us know how you're surviving the heat wave here. I mean, for it to be um, 50 degrees and sunny <laughs> somewhere <laughs> is pretty awesome. Even if you have to go to Alaska. How hot is it outside? I don't know. Alaska. So um, let's see. We're going to talk a little bit today about heat because that was sort of a, a triggered last week. Um, actually, John uh, NYC CNC brought up some interesting things, and 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 Grimsmo brought up some interesting things on the on the Bill of Materials podcast. If you aren't listening, by the way, you really should. The Business of Machining podcast is awesome, and it's with John and John, and their employees Spencer and Spencer. Just kidding. Hey, Carl's here. Carl, I need some backup today. Um, Carl's reporting 74 degrees in Center Conway, New Hampshire. What a lovely place. Well, uh, welcome. <laughs> you may send an invoice for the bill of materials, but try to get paid. 
Uh, oh my God. Oh, can we can we talk about shipping a little bit? Can we talk a little bit about shipping while everybody's filing in in the back of the room? I I see you. Don't don't think I don't. CJ Stevens, welcome aboard. So the biggest. Can anybody guess? Oh no, uh, you didn't. You didn't post in the wrong. Oh, you did post in the wrong place. Daniel, uh, first of all, welcome aboard. Second of all, if you go down the Discord list under Open Voice Chats, you'll see something called PFG Live Stage, and that's what I'm watching right now. So I do. I won't see it in the other uh, in the other chats. C.J. Stevens reports 82 and trying to rain in the very east of Tennessee. That's why there's two E's at the end. So um, while you guys are finding your seats and getting coffee and donuts in the back of the room, can anybody guess the most painful, difficult country to ship to? Now, as you know, I make uh, uh, PFG stones and my... Uh, my link is up here, pfgstones.com, and I ship all over the world whenever possible. Can anybody guess the most painful pain in the neck, and I don't mean neck, country to ship to? Believe it or not, Australia has smoothed right out. France, not a problem. I, I, think, we've, I think we've shipped to France, although I can't swear to it. I, I update the website when we have countries that we, that we can post the flags of. You can interpret that the way you want. Carl wins. Carl gets it. I have not yet had an order from Antarctica. Yeah, John gets it also. I'm going to give it to both Carl and John. They got it at about the same time. Canada with USPS. Oh, my God. God, it's horrible. So I use ShipStation for all my shipping. And it's this really cool system online. Uh, it's an app. Um, it, how do you say? It's an app that runs in, in a browser. And it's a good, really good service, and I get good rates, and it, it works. Um, but every time I have something going to Canada where the customer wants USPS... It sends it through a system called Global Post. Now, <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll talk about FedEx in a minute. Um, uh, Art uh, West says they need to translate it into Canadian. Eh? Hey, listen, uh, could you put it in a small box eh? and just make it, you know, uh, handleable? We can handle that. Eh? And I'm sorry if we get it wrong. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sorry. Um, so you order, you ask for USPS to ship to you in Canada. When we get it, <laughs> yeah, John says it works fine as long as you wait two to 45 days for it to arrive. This is exactly correct. So you generate your shipping label, and the way it works is uh, it automatically generates the label, but it ships it to Hackensack, New Jersey. First of all, I don't care if you're merely an inanimate box. Nobody wants to go to Hackensack, New Jersey, okay? I grew up in New York City. I know what goes on in Hackensack, New Jersey. So it goes to Hackensack, New Jersey. They sort it, clear customs. I don't know what they do with it. They see how far they could throw it. I'm not really not sure. Eventually, they put it on a truck, and they go take it to Canada. 
I don't know what they do after that, but it's horrible. It's horrible. I just had a customer, I'm not going to name names, who ordered um, a set of stones in Canada and it went USPS and every time that happens, I get an email say, hey, where, do, can you track the thing? I can't track it. You sent me a tracking link, but I can't track it. So I, I told him the story and I pointed him at my little diatribe on my shipping page on, uh, on the website. And he says, okay, I understand totally. He was really cool. Well, a day later, he decides he needs a different kind of stone. So he places another order for stones, but he correctly chooses UPS. That UPS order was in his hands in roughly 48 hours. Maybe, I think it was 48 hours. It might have been 72 hours. The USPS shipment still has not arrived. It's still not there. It's making me crazy. So another client who ordered a special, um, he's in Canada, and it was one stone because he's already a stone customer. Don't expect treats like this. Um, so I, it's the bevel that I just showed. And I, I said to him, look, I don't want to ship at USPS. He says, please ship at USPS. I said, okay. I completely revamped the site, the store. I, I calculated every all the rates for USPS, uh, Priority Mail International, which is a misnomer. I'll explain that in a minute. And Global Post, which is, I'm not clear on this. But I, I, got, I, I figured out how to get the rates down. I rejiggered everything for Canada, and he ordered USPS. Stand by for that story. I don't know when it's going to show up, but I, I am done with it. So if you are in Canada, the beautiful land to the north, and you're ordering stones, please pick UPS. I know it's more expensive. You'll have your stuff fast, and we don't have to go through this, these headaches. Canada. I can drive to Canada in two hours. I could be in Canada in two hours. It's crazy. Okay, that was the rant on Canada. <laughs> I got a check mark because we covered that, okay? Antarctica. I have not had an, an order yet from Antarctica, but I would be happy to ship to Antarctica. Actually, I have a friend of mine who might be going there for work. So we may, we may cheat on that one a little bit. Um, let's see. Hey, good morning. Machine New Zealand. Well, let me tell you, I could ship to New Zealand faster than I could ship to Canada. Figure that one out, okay? Um, I don't know if you missed our diatribe about shipping, but you didn't miss anything because you're all you're all set. You're you're in a good place. Uh, let's see what else have we got to talk about. Um, I think I'll give you a quick update on two things. One is the uh, the B200 balancing rings. Um, I have one more review to do. I just got to review my code, make sure I got my new date uh, engraving correct, go over my speeds and feeds one more time, and we post and we go. So we're very close to production on the B200s. They've shown as out of stock. I apologize. They're coming real soon, which is important because of the next thing I want to tell you. Uh, the balancing stand which has been hanging over my head now for a year and a half, it could be more, uh, I think we had a breakthrough, like a major breakthrough. And 
um, we will be making balancing stands and shipping product within a couple of weeks, which I'm very excited about. So basically, the balancing stand is going to end up being a 3D printed product. And I did a couple of prototypes. This is uh, this here is an early. If you're if you're watching on the on the video, this is an early prototype of a two-part uh, dovetailed uh, assembly, which was a test. Worked perfectly. It's not the way I'm going, but the fact is, I did I did a dovetail attachment. I, I I'll probably post some photos about this, and it worked out. Great, and that was the result of me looking for a solution to a different, you know, to to this product problem. I'm not going to use the solution, but I ended up inventing a really cool way to do it, and we'll we'll, we'll get to talking about that another time. Uh, so, the balancing stand came together. The design looks gorgeous. Um, only a couple of people have reviewed it for me and given me some feedback. Uh, and it works great. So expect the balancing stand sooner rather than later, which is really good news. Um, yes, Indiana John says, do you have an approximate price range for the stand? I might have a handful of guys looking for an affordable balancing stand. So I'm, I'm looking to come out with a kit, which is going to include the balancing stand and its uh, hardware, the arbor, um, which is... It's it's a the only part left to actually make is the arbor, and I I actually have a cool design that that uh, is going to work out pretty neat. Um, a balancing ring, maybe two balancing rings, but I think it's just going to be one balancing ring, and and you know that whole and that's about it. So that whole kit, so you can get the kit and immediately balance a wheel. Um, and I'm trying to keep that under three hundred dollars uh, out the door. So there's your answer. Under 300 out the door. Um, yes. So John brings up an interesting point. Some of the some of the uh, grinders, uh, some of the options for grinders these days have accelerometers on them, so that they could measure the vibration from an out of balance wheel. <laughs> uh, no, Carl, I have not uh, corralled Robin to review the design. But uh, that we will, we're going to try to do that. I don't think I'm missing anything here, but um, I would like to get Robin to do that. And he's not here yet. I think uh, he may listen to us um, in the future, so he'll know I'm coming. Um, so there are mechanisms to measure the vibration from an out of balance wheel, and and then and then give you feedback and say, hey, this is the position you need to move your weights, you know. Uh, and in order to do, let's think about what it needs to do in order to do that. It needs to have an accelerometer so it can measure the vibration from the out-of-balance condition. And it has to have position detection for the wheel. So at the very least, it needs a, a zero point, um, maybe a magnet or a, optical pickup so that as the as the uh, uh, spindle goes around it could pick up zero it knows the speed so it could approximately get its real-time position so there's some there's some technology that needs to go in there and then it tells you what to do and I guess this the really cool software will 
show you a picture and say, yeah, move, move the weights this way. Um, so you pay a lot for that. Uh, John, do you have a, do you have a price for that, for that option? Because I'm sure they're not giving it away for six bucks. Um, the Chevalier is part of the control. Well, pretty cool. That's a smart thing for them to do. Um, it's their $70,000 grinder. Of course it is. Uh, you're paying for it one way or the other. Um, so is that useful and doable? Yes. It has some advantages to it. One of the major advantages, which sounds like a, well, it's, it's an advantage, is that it will also take into account, yes, it, it, it's a very, uh, it's a, I won't say common, but it's a it's a well established method of balancing on the machine. And the thing that's good about balancing on the machine with all that tech is that it includes the imbalance of the spindle. So that vibration and your corrections will drive the vibration to zero, and and that includes any um, anything in the machine itself. Whereas when you're balancing on a balancing stand like I do, like we all tend to do, um, it does not pick up any errors in the machine. So if your machine has no errors, you have nothing to worry about. See? Yes. So Indiana John says, I've heard of machines that balance while spinning, and they have a little diamond that kicks out and chips away where it needs to. Absolutely true. Almost says, uh, Adam, that's Adam Balog, has plans for a home-built sensor for balancing. I think he showed it off at Barzi Summer Bash. What, on the machine, it helps offset machine issues. Yeah, so we, we're agreeing. It, can it be done? Yes. Um, it's more expensive, and uh, it's more expensive. <laughs> if you want to write the check, you can get one of these systems. And... and uh, I'm not sure you could add it to any machine. That's a good question. That would be kind of hard to do. But if it's a, if it's an option for your machine, it's an option. Yeah, John says he wants a, a simple offline balancing stand. So I'm going to make a video about this whole thing uh, that, that basically will come out with the release of the product because I'm not only coming out with the product, which is going to be pretty cool and nice and low cost, but it's also going to be the release of a new method I've developed. And it's the method that will shorten the time you spend balancing. So a good, you know, good balancing stand, you're going to have that, and a new method, which is quicker and gets the job done. Uh, Carl says it's more sensitive because the acceleration is greater because of the machine spinning. Um, almost says Arduinos are not fast enough. It needs to be with an STM32 and some topper dollar accelerometers to get really good results. So, uh, yeah, it's funny because I talked to a guy who is in the, he's an engineer doing firmware, and he, he calls some of these little, uh, these little boards that have a zillion processors on them uh, Ferraris. Yes, the Arduinos may not have enough juice to them. But, hey, let's keep it simple, guys. A balancing ring, balancing stand, and a place to, <laughs> and knowing how to do it, 
is gets the job done very well. Now, here's the problem. The problem is uh, we have PFG stones, which means you do you do your best grinding job ever so that your mentor would be proud of you and you're very proud of it and you hit it with the PFG stones and it shows you everything. And and that's a that's a problem. Some of it matters and some of it doesn't. So you have a choice. You could either you could either not have the information and everything looks great or you could have the information and decide what matters. But once you hit that surface with the PFG stones, it could be the best grinding ever. Uh, if there's the tiniest imbalance uh, or imperfection, it shows up. And I'm sorry. I feel like I have to apologize. Uh, one of the funny things I, I thought about in the last uh, few months was uh, shipping a small piece of gray scotch Bright with each set of PFG stones, you know, sealed in a little bag as an eraser. So after you stone the work and you can see all the all the truth come out, you could take the gray scotch bright and cover it all up again. <laughs> I may actually do that, but that there you go. I, I showed pictures of this a while back. I think I was using the maroon uh, scotch bright and uh, doing the same thing. You could uncover the truth, recover the truth, uncover the truth, recover the truth. Anyway, so uh, that's the story. So balancing stand coming. And I think that's the that was the big message. I'm having really nice results with the bamboo printers and uh, and uh, uh, and such. Um, let's see. Before I jump into like, I'm reminded to go into bamboo land here, and I, I want to tell you about the bamboo uh, PETG basic that I got. Before I do that, I just want to tell you that I finally got my uh, care package, my little kit from a company called Kratex. Oh, I forgot to bring it up. Uh, with about five different types of Kratex rubberized adhesive, uh, adhesives, abrasives. And this was recommended by Robin Renzetti. So uh, not only did Robin recommend the, uh, this kit that Kratex has had on their site for a while, but everybody, of course, as you know, pays attention to what Robin says, uh, almost says fantastic stuff. It is fantastic. Kratex is awesome, says Wes. Absolutely. So I'm all in. I bought the kit, and I got it. And if you're looking at the screen, you'll see the picture. Uh, when I filled out the form on the Kratex site for the shipping, I had them ship it to the Robin Renzetti fan club. And <laughs> they didn't... They did not blink. My invoice says Robin Renzetti fan club and my shipping says Robin Renzetti fan club <laughs> came in. So I don't know if you heard the story, but Robin said that uh, they called him up. Kratex called him up. I think the president of Kratex called him up and said, is this Robin? And he's like, uh, yes. Of course, he gave his phone number because of shipping. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing the president of Kratex now. He says, what the hell is going on? They got like they got like 20 orders overnight for something which I'm guessing they get two orders a month for. And he had to explain to him that he is the unintentional influencer. So anyway, I thought you'd get a kick out of seeing my shipping label here. Carl says Robin is America's answer to the Delphic Oracle. 
Art uh, Wes says it's worth every penny. So we're, I'm going to get to play with it. Um, it actually may come into play on the on the balancing stand arbor. We'll see what happens. Yeah. So almost is is violently agreeing that it's the next step in finishing. Same with stones or adventure into lapping land. It's true. It is the next level. So that's the story on Kratex. That came in. Again, not quite ready to um, to uh, mess with them, but uh, Arbor Production may get a taste of that. Mix Workshop, welcome aboard, sir. Says, I got mine a couple of days ago, too, between Robin and the Kratex and Tom Lipton and the Amazon Loctite. <laughs> That's right. I have to. I have to confess. I also got a bottle of Loctite. It was a good price, and I love. I, I love the Loctite products uh, all around for doing what they do. So that gets uh, that gets that out of the way. Uh, let's see. We got some serious physics coming, people. So I hope you have your uh, your propeller hats ready. Uh, I gave you stand uh, the balancing stand progress report. Excellent. And uh, what else do we have? Oh, we're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, let me give you the basic uh, PETG from Bamboo Report. So, as you know, I make the trays for the PFG stones out of, um, out of uh, PETG. And here's another thing. Here's my little uh, 3x5 file card holder, which is also made out of the same, uh, the same resin or the same plastic. And... Uh, and I love it. So when I got the bamboos up and running, the this filament I was using is the Overture, which is an Amazon company. And I, I've really enjoyed the Overture PETG filament. And I called it resin before because I was just reading a bunch of articles, which you're going to benefit from. And in the industry, they call it resin. So um, I ran some tests. So the color was fine. We like the color. And then, uh, let me see. I got a picture here. Um, let's see. There we go. So I ran a bunch of tests, and I was using, uh, as my little test piece, this utility knife, this little quick print. It's really cute. Utility knife holder, uh, which I've been ca actually carrying around. And it's a, it's a fast print, and if you have to do a bunch of testing and you end up with a bunch of them, you could load them up with utility knives and give them away, which is kind of cool. So I did, you could see my, uh, if you're watching on the video, you, I have a piece of green tape on the workbench, and I was, I was doing a timeline of my experiments, making you know one change at a time, looking at the results. Here's what happened. I got the Bamboo PETG Basic. I ran it with the bamboo PETG basic profile and I ran my model at the same uh, height that I've been running it and I got some problems and one of the problems was coming it, it there's a there's a small radius that comes around on the corner of that print and it was kind of chewing up that radius so I didn't like that and it didn't do it on my print so let me define my previous print. I was using the Overture PETG and I was running the generic PETG profile. And that was working fine. 
and I didn't have that little tear out as it came screaming around the corner. So I scratched my head and somebody, I can't remember who, uh, said, take a look at the volumetric speed limit. So in the profile, in the slicer for, um, and in my case, this is Bamboo Studio. All of them have this. There's a there's a number called volumetric speed limit or volumetric flow rate limit, which is literally the volume per second that it is going to allow to be pushed out the the uh, extruder. So you could have all your accelerations and your speeds and your you know everything set up the way you imagine you want it. But then there's this speed limit that says, but you can't go faster than this. And if you think about it, it makes sense. At some volumetric rate, you're going to start being unable to push um, filament out the nozzle. You're going to just run out of your ability to push, and it's going to start grinding the filament, and it's the beginning of bad things. On the generic PETG profile in Bamboo Slicer, uh, Bamboo Studio, the volumetric limit was 10. In the Bamboo PETG Basic, this new profile for the new filament, it was 14. That's a big difference. And I, I found it because there's a function in the Bamboo Studio where you can compare two profiles side by side and it will tell you what all the differences are. Okay? So I said, hmm... I'm going to run an experiment next, and I'm going to run the Bamboo PETG, the new filament, with the generic PETG profile. Ran fantastically well. Um, I left out one step. Before I did that, I ran the same. I, I ran the, the Bamboo profile for their new filament, but I turned it down from standard speed mode to what's called um, silent mode, which is sort of a misnomer, but it's basically a little slower. It improved. So that was sort of the hint that it was going too fast. Then I, then I tried the, uh, the generic profile, and that's when I saw it, it worked pretty good. So here's my diagnosis of this whole thing, is that I think they came out with this new profile, um, and they're pushing the filament a little too hard. Sorry, guys. Um, so I will be running the Bamboo PETG filament, but I will be using the generic PETG profile, and that's what works quite nicely. So I will be giving... I think I gave a little bit of feedback on the Discord for Bamboo. Bamboo has a Discord server, which is awesome, and they are paying attention. Um, but I'll be using the generic PETG profile. The difference, so the difference was small. It was a couple, it, you know, minutes of print time on a print that takes on the order of an hour. I wasn't going to lose sleep over it. So that was my that was my experience. Uh, hopefully, they will come out with revised profiles as as the, as the company and the people get more experience with this filament. But I'm running the generic PETG profile. So if you're if you're watching the video, you could see in the picture the last experiment was was printing a four inch uh, tray for my stones. Fun little fact: my friend who in Canada who just got his 
beveled stone, or he just had it shipped. Let me put it that way. He just had it shipped. You'll get it someday. Uh, is That's the tray he got. He got the first tray made with the bamboo PETG uh, filament. So I'm happy with it. Why is this important? Why do we care? We care because it comes in the re reusable spools and it, it comes in the spools which run really nicely in the AMS, in the uh, multi-material selector. That's the story. Bamboo, got your filament. We're running it. It's it's looking good. So uh, if it, if any of you bamboo owners are wondering if you can uh, if you should buy the the PETG basic, answer yes. But don't use the profile. Use the generic profile. So um, if anybody has any questions on that stuff, feel free to put it in the chat. We got that covered. And. Um, this is a perfect segue into talking about one of my soapboxes, which is dry your damn filament. Here's my statement. My statement is filament is not dry until you dry it. So when the PETG basic came in from bamboo, I'm going to take a sip of my tea if you'll, if you'll allow me because... I'm about to start a rant, and we don't like to start a rant dry. How ironic. So, um, I get the spool of filament, and I throw it in the machine intentionally with no drying, and I run my test. I think that was the very first test on my little uh, test board there. And I got some results, and there was some there was some stringiness and there was some gloppiness and okay, right? This is the first part of the experiment. Took the thing and I said, I'm going to go dry this. And I think it was Wes. Was it you, Wes, that said, it might have been Wes, might have been somebody else. Forgive me for not remembering. They said, can you weigh it? And I'm like, that's a brilliant idea. Not truly brilliant idea. Not because I had a postal scale sitting on the same bench, but because behind me, about four feet, I had a triple beam balance that had 10th gram resolution. And I said, yeah, I could weigh it. So I did exactly that. I weighed the spool of filament. It was 1251, I believe. And that, so that's a kilogram of, yeah, there you go. Carl says moisture is kryptonite to PETG. Carl, you're going to love what's coming up here next. Um, so I weighed the spool, went to the shop, put uh, all four rolls that I received. Oh, <laughs> can we detour for one second? You may recall when we last met our heroes that I ordered one spool of PETG basic and I received a pneumatic stapler. Now, we laughed about that last time we were on the PFG Live, and I have two things to report to you. Thing number one, I gave the, the pneumatic stapler away to a friend of mine, affectionately known as the Reverend, and he is a great woodworker, and uh, so I gave it to him. I asked him if he could use it, and he said yes. So a, a fine woodworker has received the uh, the stapler, which is not a roll of filament. 
And that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is Bamboo says we're terribly sorry. This was this was on, uh, you know, uh, I filed a ticket on the website. They said we're terribly sorry. We're going to gift you a fifteen dollar credit to your account, and we are shipping you a new roll of filament. So uh, that has not arrived yet. <laughs> So in between in between that happening and now, I ordered four more rolls of PETG Basic, and they all showed up. <laughs> so this is like shipping hell. I'm still waiting on the one roll of replacement. So I had four rolls. Okay, so those four rolls came in. Did did my weighing? Thank you, Carl. Carl says like a good analytic chemist, you should dry to constant weight. Thank you. I did my weighing. I popped it into the uh, lab oven and I ran it. Now I run it for four hours. Believe it or not, bamboo says eight hours. Um, it's like chicken soup; it can't hurt. Uh, it's like sous vide, right? You can, you can you can sous vide for two hours, four hours, six hours, eight hours before you finish it. Anyway, came out of the oven, went right down to the scale in the basement, still set up. Hadn't touched it, popped it on the scale, measured the weight, make your guess. Don't cheat if you already know the answer. What do you think the weight change was on 1,251 grams of PETG filament after drying? I'll give you a moment. Insert uh, Jeopardy music here. Anybody? Uh, 100 grams from WR Rocket, 65 grams from Indiana John. Interesting. I'll give you, I'll give you guys two more guesses. Remember, it's 1,250 grams of filament plus spool. Come on, Carl. You got to pitch in here. <laughs> Come on, one more guess. By the way, we're on ultra low latency today, so I know you're listening. <laughs> Nobody? Nothing? Okay. A few milligrams. Oh, okay. I will tell you that you guys have bracketed it. The answer is two grams. Oh, Wes. No, Wes knew. Did you know, or was that a guess? The answer is two grams. So what does that mean? Let's two out of a, out of a thousand um, is two uh, two thousand out of a million. Would you agree with that? The ratio is two thousand. So it's two thousand ppm. Am I getting that right, Carl? Check me on this. Is that two thousand ppm? I believe it is. Hey, take care, Machine NZ. You'll catch the rest later. It's going to be a whopper. You might want a pencil uh, when you listen to it. Take care. Have have a good time at work. By the way, he's he is in Tomorrowland. Yeah, 0.2%. Yeah, so what is it in parts per million? I believe it's 2,000 parts per million. Right? If it's two parts per thousand, it's it's... It's 2,000 parts per million. 
Yay? Nay? Okay, so remember that because that, that comes into play a little later. Okay, Carl says he thinks so. That's good enough for me. So somebody uh, said to me, well, you might have removed some solvents, you know, some other stuff other than water. And to that I say probably not. Um, so I think we took two grams of water out of that spool. Does it matter? Stand by. I'm about to prove to you that it does matter. So thank you for the recommendation to weigh it. And from now on, I think we'll take some more data on weighing it. Um, so let's get right into the, the filament. Uh, we're going to talk about heat in, in general later. But I want to get the filament drying stuff out of the way. So I did some research. And, and I had done some research before, and it was in my head, but then I wanted to... Oh, Practical Renaissance. Welcome aboard, sir. How did I dry it? So I have a lab oven in the shop. Yeah, Carl says, almost certainly nothing but water. I agree. So I have a lab oven in the shop. It's a VWR. Um, I'll post better pictures of it. I've posted pictures of it before. Oh, no. So, oh, oh, here you go. You're yanking my chain now, Indiana John. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's a VWR lab oven. It's, it's, I think it's their high flow se series. It's got, a, it's got a, a, a fan in it circulating. But I'll tell you, for a long time, I used our convection oven in the kitchen, which also is an electric oven, good temperature control, lots of airflow. Okay. So that's how I do it. Uh, PLA 120F, um, four hours. PETG 150F, four hours. Although indications are you can double the time and it would be perfectly happy. Do not double the temperature. <laughs> Early on in my drying career, I uh, accidentally dried some PLA at PETG temperatures. Uh, it turned into modern art. Not recommended. So here's here's what we need to know. If I tell you something is wet, it absorbed you know, moisture, what do you think about? Well, you kind of think about a sponge and how water goes in the sponge. And if I want to get it out of the sponge, I could squeeze the sponge or I could just let it dry or I could put it in the oven and dry it with heat. And that's all well and good. But if I said to you, when the sponge was wet, did it, did it fundamentally change the sponge? You would say, no, you're out of your mind. It's just a wet sponge. You have a sponge, it's a wet sponge, or it's a dry sponge. This is not how it works with plastic resin or plastic filament, okay? There's stuff going on here. So let me read you some things. This is an article from uh, High High Rate America. It's a it's a plastics company. Actually, they sell they sell a drying machine, and I'm going to give you some. Uh, aha, uh, WR Rocket says, "I wonder if you can get more water out using a vacuum chamber." And the answer is, yes, absolutely can. And um, my friend Unix Carbide, who I'm actually surprised he's not here, he he does that. He does vacuum drying. Now, I don't have experience with it, so I can't speak to it. But what vacuum drying does is 
when you lower the air pressure, the boiling point of water also drops. So you can get more effective drying. However, I am not convinced it is a good solution. So I'm just going to reserve judgment on that. All right. So let me read you from this article. And this article is from 2017. So it's old. Therefore, it must be, you know, brilliant. It says, in part, the definition of hygroscopic, there's hydroscopic and hygroscopic, uh, of a substance is to absorb moisture from the air. This means that some plastics, plastic resins slash pellets absorb moisture just by being exposed to ambient air. Uh, almost says hydroscopic plastics grow with moisture. The water absorbs a huge amount of heat when printing. Yep, we're going to talk about that. The thermal mass of most nozzles isn't large enough. We're going to talk about that too. Um, Carl says no vacuum. Use nitrogen purge at atmospheric pressure. You know, Carl, the interesting thing is this VWR I picked up is all plumbed up for nitrogen purge or for a gas purge. So I could actually run that in this oven another day. Um, so you could have plastic sitting there on the shelf and it's just going to start absorbing moisture. So when I watch some of these 3D printing channels and I see these guys with like racks of, of spools sitting in their lab, I just shake my head. It's like they're just absorbing moisture. Anyway, they go on to show some of the problems associated with, with moisture in the plastic. Now listen to this. One common misconception about drying material is that the wetness, in quotes, of resin is the topical surface moisture. But the actual moisture content of a plastic pellet, remember they're coming from the injection molding industry, is measured in parts per million and refers to the moisture content within a pellet. So we just measured a difference in my drying experiment of 2,000 parts per million. Okay, this is what they're talking about. He, this article goes on. All hygroscopic resins have a specific temperature set point that they must be at to release the moisture within the pellet. You could replace that with resin or with uh, filament. It is important to know that if the material is below the predetermined temperature set point, even if it were to be left in a dryer all night, it may never release the moisture within the pellet. It is also important to note that raising the temperature above its specified set point is not an acceptable shortcut to drying it more quickly. It is, however, going to melt more quickly, as I have that's my commentary. And then it goes on to talk about airflow. So they're, they're saying not only is the heat important, but you got to get the air moving. That's why a convection oven is excellent. And then they talk about residence time. Residence time is the time required to dry a resin in the real world. Uh, and they go on to say, with all these considerations, every type of resin has a predetermined residence time set by the manufacturer, which is usually four to six hours of drying. We're not mincing words here. So 
This article says two important things. There's an important temperature you have to get to, and you have to do it for four to six hours typically. Having said all that, what do you predict the effectiveness of a packet of, of desiccant sealed in a pouch with your filament is? How effective would that be? Giving you a moment to think about it, I will tell you my answer. Zero. Not effective. Waste of time. So how come when the manufacturer sends you your spool of filament vacuum sealed in a pouch with a, yeah, almost you are correct, vacuum sealed in a pouch with, with a packet of desiccant, you know what they just did for you? They just made you feel better. I have pro proven time and again that that roll of filament is not dry unless you dry it. And, and uh, WR Rocket correctly says it's only good for keeping it dry. That's right. But the moisture is in the plastic, okay? And to get it out, you have to raise it to the magic temperature or it's not coming out, okay? <laughs> I don't know how I feel now. I, I need a little counseling. Carl says disagree. I am open. I am totally open to learning more things. Let me read you another article. Um, this is from plasticsnews.com. This was published. I don't have a date of publication on this one. It says, uh, most polymers exhibit at least some level of polarity and can absorb a certain amount of moisture from the air. How much impact that moisture has on the quality of a molded part usually is determined by the resin and the application. When preparing resins for processing and injection molding, materials should be properly dried to the manufacturer's recommendations. If this is not done, part quality can be compromised. Issues that, issues that occur um, can, in, can include, and they list some of the common things, splay marks, irregular moldings, lower mechanical properties, brittleness, bubbles, and sink marks. Drying can also eliminate hydrolysis. We'll explain that. And part failure. Hydrolysis is a chemical reaction in the polymer that breaks the covalent bonds in its chain, reducing its mechanical properties. So, strong words. Art says, if it goes in, it'll come out, question mark. If the air is drier, it might slightly lower the moisture. So what I just read you brings up this thing called hydrolysis. And let me paint you a picture. Uh, and Carl will throw his shoe at me if I'm, if I'm off base here. So plastics are made of polymers. Polymer. It means many copies or many, many parts, right? Um, so they're, they're chains, just like... Um, just like gasoline, diesel fuel, all of these uh, organic polymers. That means there's carbon in it. That's organic. Polymer, it's got these long chains in it. And the chains are of a certain length. In fact, you may recall, um, do you need to be careful about touching filament to prevent? We'll get to that. Um, I think it's less important 
I don't think you're you're you might give it some finger oils, but you're not giving it a lot of moisture. And besides, if you're touching it, you're about to print with it, and it's going away. Um, so polymer is a long chain. So I want you to, um, yes, yeah. Carl's nailed it. He says all plastic pouches will allow diffusion of moisture. It's cheaper to include desiccant than to package to prevent moisture ingress. Excellently said. So everybody imagine a chain, like a chain link fence, okay? And those are molecules of this resin that are chained up. And the, the length of the chain is what gives many of the physical characteristics of the plastic. And if all those chains got broken into small pieces, that plastic changes its behavior. It becomes brittle. It becomes weaker. Bad things happen. So the term hydrolysis, hydro meaning water, uh, lysis meaning cutting, okay, it's taking your long chain polymers in your plastic and water comes along and it's this short little thing. It's just an H and two O's, right? But the thing about water is that it's, I got to use my fingers on the camera. It's an H and then two O's, but they're not coming off on either side. They're actually bent 120 degree to, to 120 degree angle. So you got your H and you got your two O's. And what happens is it's a polar molecule. It has a plus side and a minus side. It has a plus charge on one side and a minus charge on the other side. Uh, plus on the side where the H is up here and then minus on the side where the two O's are down there. So you've got this polar molecule. And you, you heard in a previous article that we just read that uh, some of the polymers are polar, meaning they are also have a plus side and a minus side to the molecule. So uh, along comes your water molecule and it sees the polar, um, the polar flavored uh, polymer and it says, hey, I want in. I want in. And it goes in and it, chunk, it breaks the chain. And that action is called hydrolysis. And if you've ever taken a roll of PLA, for example, I'll tell you, if you use PVA, which is used for supports, I had a horrible experience with PVA, could not make it work. You take it out, you, you pull it off of the, of the spool, and it, you can just crumble it in your hands. That is completely destroyed material, and hydrolysis is one of the things that can make that happen. There's, that's the bad news. The good news is you bring the temperature up high enough, high enough, above the threshold, it drives the moisture out, your polymer can, can heal itself, and you're back in business. But if you think a desiccant packet is going to pull that water back out of that polymer, you are sadly mistaken. Okay. Also, let's imagine how the manufacturers make filament. Okay. Yes. Yes, Practical Renaissance, PVA, the same stuff they make wood glue out of. And there's good reasons to play with it. It's water-soluble. You can make supports and then dissolve out the supports. But it's as far as keeping moisture out of it, it's absolutely horrible. So um, a manufacturer is going to load up a, a, a machine to make filament, okay? 
and then gonna they're gonna extrude yeah almost is pointing out that biodegradable pro, uh, 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 characteristics specifically in PLA are also going to be at play here um, so the machine starts extruding filament right and it goes through a process and these days they've all gotten really smart about putting diameter monitoring on the filament so they're all tightening up their specifications which is really super good and it goes over and it gets spooled up right on this big spool and they make you know a run which might be thousands of feet you know or tens of thousands of feet of filament and then they're going to take that and they're going to spool up one kilogram spools and package them and ship them here's my question what is the time and the environmental conditions between making the tens of thousands of feet of filament and making your one kilogram spool of filament. What happens between those two steps? And I believe the answer is no particularly good controls. So that's where it gets wet. It just came out of you know, molding. If they were smart, they dried their pellets, right? Which is the, what they're making their filament from. They lose control. But they package in a nice vacuum seal and they put a, they stuff the little desiccant in and you get it. Okay, so that's my case. My case is it is not dry until you dry it. Now, what? who cares? So I would say, you know, the average Joe uh, is going to get a spool of filament, pop it in the 3D printer, and most of the time, which is to say more than 50%, it'll probably print okay. But I, I go on these sites, these groups, like Facebook groups and whatever, and I see people just pulling their hair out over problems they're having 3D printing. Oh, it's coming out you know, lumpy, blotchy. It's not extruding properly. What causes this? What do I do? And then the answers they get from the, from the public are all over the map. So it's the blind helping the blind. I, this is in some cases. The blind helping the blind. And in the end, if they... every if everybody dried their filament these these problems would i, I say 80 percent of the problems go away and with the bamboo printer uh this is not a commercial for the with the bamboo printer which is like push the button and it just works uh, really all the problems go away it's unbelievable how much of the problems go away but you have to start with dry filament so what do you do robin renzetti recommended a food dehydrator which i have no personal experience with but i did um i think i reposted his information or reposted it here um probably a great idea long as you could hit your temperature and you could hold your time sounds great also food dehydrators typically circulate air uh home oven you know uh, kitchen electric convection ovens that's the way i did it for years awesome i picked up a used lab oven um, they're a little, they could be a little pricey, but totally worth it. Does an awesome job. So, um, third article and last article we'll touch on cause we, we're going to go over today, by the way, folks, in case you were wondering, um, this is a paper called plastic failure through molecular degradation in it. He says the most Numerous mo molecular degradation mechanisms. Th there are numerous molecular degradation mechanisms, but the most common are 
Hey, take care, WR Rocket. Um, thermal oxidation, ultraviolet radiation, chain scission, scission, chain scission, right? And hydrolysis. We just talked about that. Um, and then he goes on to say why they're bad. We know why they're bad. And he says, hydrolysis is the degradation of a polymeric material. Some polymers are inherently susceptible. We kind of figured that. Including polyesters, okay, polyethylene terephthalate, P-E-T, all, polycarbonate, nylons, polyurethane, polyacetyl, delrin, okay? And listen to this paragraph. It's awesome. He says, hydrolysis represents a chemical reaction that results in permanent change within the molecular structure of the polymer. The hydrolysis mechanism proceeds throughout the reaction of the polymer with water, resulting in the cleavage of the susceptible functional group you know, I played bass for Susceptible Functional Group back in the 80s. Uh, commonly into chemical species that resemble the initial reactants used in the original polymerization process. Aren't you glad I didn't read you this whole paper? He says, it is important to recognize that hydrolysis is different than water absorption. While water absorption can significantly alter the mechanical properties of a plastic, and particularly nylon resins, the effect is transient and reversible. This gentleman is Jeffrey Jansen, and this was written in 2015. So he basically told us the truth. He says, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, you can fix it. And yeah, it's chemical. It's not a sponge. There you go, folks. If you didn't dry it, it's not dry. Oh, stand up base. <laughs> I tell anybody who asks. <laughs> I literally did play stand up base back back in the day. In in high school, then I quit. Um, okay. So uh, that's the end of that topic. We could we could talk about heat, or we could leave it for next week. Uh, we've gone an hour. <laughs> that's awesome practical renaissance it's been a running joke but sometimes i think about going back to it um so let's really quick talk about heat because because heat uh, i'm putting on your screen the table that i posted to instagram and to discord not too long ago Um, I don't understand what you said almost, but I believe you. Tempering is important. All right. So, um, let's take a look at this table. So there's two things. Basically, it's, it's one table. It looks like two tables. The first table is, uh, a bunch of things sorted in order of their heat conductivity. So you'll note that the, the lowest heat conductivity on the scale is air. 
So if you have a hot thing and a cold thing and you want to move heat from the hot thing to the cold thing, the worst thing you can use is air. It has the poorest conductivity. Okay? So um, let's go to the other side of the scale. If you want to move heat from a hot thing to a cold thing and you put copper in between them, boy howdy, uh, the heat conductivity is fantastic. Yeah, uh, so spe no, specific heat is the next column. Okay, so heat conductivity is heat conductivity. Heat capacity is specific heat. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep it simple. Specific heat is heat with respect to uh, weight. So I don't want to get to, yes, the specific heat normalizes things for, um, for something. It could be the mass. It could be something else. But I just want to give you a feel for the basic material properties, right? And then if you look down the scale, it's the first column, upper left. You see from air, you go to oil. And oil is a 20, um, sorry, it's, a, it's about a 10x improvement in conductivity. So Mr. Mr. Grimsmo with his uh, oil-cooled Swiss is getting more heat out of his parts by a factor of almost 10 by using oil. However, uh, Mr. Saunders, who's using a water-based coolant, water and oil, is getting 20 times better coolant uh, by using water. So the, the heat conductivity of water is even better. Then we get into solids, right? And, and it starts with granite, but iron is 10 times better conductor of heat than granite is. And steel is almost double that of, of cast iron. Um, and then aluminum is four times better than steel. And then copper is twice as good as aluminum. So this is heat conductivity. It will conduct from the hot side to the cold side well or poorly according to the scale. The, the lower table is the exact same data except I sorted it by heat capacity. So heat conductivity, you sort of, you could think of it like, um, like a resistor. In electrical terms, I would think of it like a resistor. It's the resistance of, uh, to the flow of heat. So some things have a high resistance to that flow, and some have a low, a low resistance. And you all have, you know, copper. There's only one thing better than copper. Do you know what it is? Anybody? What's better than copper in heat conductivity? Cue the Jeopardy music, please. Gold. I am so happy you said gold. Gold and almost says diamond. I'm going to give you diamond. You are correct, although that's not what I had in mind. Um, diamond is actually uh, very good. I believe it is better than copper. Gold is worse. <laughs> I didn't look it up, but uh, it's silver. Silver is the best. Okay. Now, at the, we go to the platinum. No, it's not. It isn't. It's expensive, but it's not. that's not what it's good for. Now, let's jump down to the bottom table. This is heat capacity. Um, <laughs> and now we're, it's the same data, just sorted by heat capacity. The lowest heat capacity. What is capacity? That means the ability to store. So if you heat something up, it has a certain amount of energy you're able to shove into it, and and 
the, the thing that can hold the least of it is copper. Interesting, right? The thing that can, has the highest heat capacity is water. Okay? So you heat up a gallon of water and you heat up a gallon of oil. It's on the same table. Okay? You spent three times more energy moving that water up to temperature than you did moving that oil up to temperature. And that's per unit weight. Okay? Mass, I should say, not weight. Uh, similarly, air, actually air and, and oil isn't that different. Aluminum and air and oil isn't that different. Uh, shockingly, aluminum and air is almost exactly the same. And then granite and steel, you're starting to go down in heat capacity until you finally get to iron and, and copper. So... Carl says, you're talking about conduction only. With gases and liquids, convection can be much effective than... Yes, absolutely. That's why you have a fan. <laughs> so that's why you're moving a bunch of air. So this is all, I agree, this is all with the, 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 the material not moving. Okay? But what this, what this teaches us is that if you have a machine that's made out of cast iron, okay... And you have a tank of coolant that's mostly made out of water. There's a 10 to 1 ratio between how much heat is held in the water and how much heat is held in the cast iron of your machine. I've previously talked about this and I've measured this on my grinder. And that's why I have a heater in my coolant tank. Especially in the winter when the coolant tank is very gets very cold and the if, if I don't put a heater in it, it's just the source of cold water while the, while the grinder has warmed up to temperature and I'm blasting cold water onto my chuck. So I bring my coolant up to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. I heat the room to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. The grinder tends to come up to the room temperature pretty quickly because of these reasons. And it's not perfect, but we're way closer in temperatures when that happens, and I don't have to think too terribly much uh, for for the work I do about um, about huge thermal shifts, so that's the this is why I'm bringing it up. And the biggest the biggest shocker I think, and this is this is what we've illustrated previously, is the heat capacity uh, of of water versus cast iron, ten to one, and then the heat conductivity of water to cast iron is five to one and there you go they're quite different yeah carl says so you need to compare volumetric heat capacity you know what if we get to first base here and we just make you think about you know how different those are that's my purpose that's all that's what i'm here for so this is why i mounted a heater in my coolant tank now here we are over the winter it was awesome right i was making stones and I would fire up the uh, the coolant heater a couple hours before I went to work. And I fired up the heating system in the garage a couple hours before I went to work. And everything stabilized. And I was able to do a great job and didn't, didn't have to think about anything. Here we are in summer. And what I'm finding is, is that my coolant tank is already at about, you know, 60 or, or whatever. And if I, if I gr did grinding the day before 
I can see it's still holding heat from the day before's session. So what did I do? I had insulation wrapped around the bottom of the tank and I had a piece of extruded polystyrene installation, also known as the pink foam, between the tank and the floor and I've removed those for the summer. Now, again, it's not perfect. No, I'm not going to cool my, my coolant tank, but now the concrete floor, which is you know probably around 55, is gonna draw some of the heat out. So I'm, I've changed my tune because now it's summertime. So there you go. This is something to just think about and realize that different materials behave differently and have different heat capacities, different different heat conductivities, and this is why we're here. So how does this, this does in fact tie back to 3D printing in that what material is the nozzle made out of? So most nozzles have been made out of brass, which is mostly a copper, it's a copper alloy, and the heat conductivity is excellent. Well now we go to the bamboo, okay, and it has a hardened steel nozzle, standard, I know you could, switch in various things. And that hardened steel is going to have uh, much lower, like 10 to 1 lower uh, heat conductivity. So their, their heating rules have to take that into account. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, yeah, and diamond is, yes, if, if we could make it all out of diamond, it would be awesome. Diamond has a very high heat conductivity. So that's the story about heat. We deal with it every day, whether we like it or not. <clears throat> I want to do a couple of shout outs before we wrap this thing up. I had a really nice visit from Alan Elishowitz of Elishowitz Custom Knives. And uh, we had a good time visiting. He was in town for some business and then he was shooting uh, back up to the airport. And we got to visit for uh, half hour, 40 minutes. Uh, we could have talked for two hours. It was really nice to see uh, Alan. So, Alan, if you're listening, you're always welcome back here. Aaron Walla reports good news. <laughs> Aaron bought the new grinder. We we had Aaron on to talk about his, his new shop and the new grinder, and he had problems with the new grinder. The new grinder lost its memory, which if you're a CNC guy, you know that's a huge pain in the neck. Uh, through the kindness of others, in a few shekels, uh, he was able to get the machine reloaded and it is now running again. So good job, Aaron. We're looking forward to Aaron's uh, new automatic grinder, which is a, um, I got to get this right, Parker Majestic uh, with a, C uh, it's not Siemens. Urgh, I can't remember the manufacturer of the control. But anyway, he's back up and running. Congratulations. Good to hear it, Aaron. Okay, if you guys have any quick questions, I'll answer them. Otherwise, we're going to wrap this thing up. We're 15 minutes over, but we had too much fun. So uh, we'll see you guys next week. I don't see any impediments to uh, the PFG Live. We might have a guest, fair warning. I am hoping to have um, some things to show you on the balancing stand next week. Um, very happy with, with the direction that is going and the the required epiphany delivering the leap that was uh, necessary. So with that, uh, I'm going to head back over to the Discord server, and if anybody's around, 
Um, I will be there and happy to chat. I'm actually going to be in the miscellaneous voice chat after we're done here. CJ Stevens, have a great week yourself, sir. Um, almost machining. I'm glad you were here. Flat Lapper, nice to see you. You were kind of quiet today. Um, and Indiana John, take care, buddy. We'll see you, uh, we'll see you guys next week on PFG Live.